shorts your eyes and pull like down. <laughs> and a new Irish record for Phil Healy, 22.99. Christy Cooney hands over the Sam McGuire Cup to Graham Canty, Cork All-Ireland Champions for the seventh time ever. Hello and welcome to the Star Sport Podcast. My name is Jack McCarran of the Southern Star and I'm joined as always by Star Sport Editor Kieran McCarthy. Before we kick things off, I'd just like to give a gentle reminder to our listeners and viewers to please rate, review and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and YouTube. We've had a really brilliant reaction to our podcasts over the past few weeks, so we just want to say a big thanks to everyone who's listened, messaged, or shared our recent episodes. If you ever feel the need to get in touch with the podcast to ask us to cover certain topics or sports people, or just tell us how annoying you find us, you can get us on Twitter. Kieran is at Kieran MCC underscore SS, and I'm at JBurg KK, or you can email us at sport at southernstar.ie on today's show we're looking ahead to the european indoor athletics championships in poland which kick off this week and speaking to sprinter joan healy we'll also hear from west cork ladies football chairman brian cotter on what the future holds for the divisional side and reigning county champions but kieran before we hear from joan we might as well comment on the story that has the whole country talking and that is the picture of three-time grand national winning trainer gordon elliott posing for a photo while sitting on top of a racehorse that had died of a suspected heart attack on his gallops now i'm obviously interested in racing both as a fan and as someone who has worked in the industry but from your perspective as a casual observer what was your reaction to seeing the now infamous image um, it was a shocking picture, Jack, when you, when you see it first time. When you consider what Gordon Hill is, what, he, what he's done in the sport, what he's achieved, what he continues to achieve, to see to see that image of him on a dead horse was um, indefensible, as a lot of people have said. I think even Gordon Elliott has said himself in the in the press release since uh, it was a shocking image. It portrays him in a terrible light. I know he's under review and under investigation now for, for this image. It just, it paints the sport in a bad image too. And I suppose what's come out in social media since as well is another um, video that's doing the rounds of a of a of a alleged jockey who's sitting on a on a dead horse as well. So it's just a bad couple of days for the sport, and it's sad for horse racing too because it paints a lot of people in that industry in a bad light as well. When it's obviously not the case, it it isn't the case, you know. Kind of they can't be held responsible for the actions of one or two individuals, but it's just. Um, I think Ruby Walsh said it was indefensible. Gordon Elliott himself said it was indefensible, and it is. It's just just a shocking image. But from your point of view, Jack, like you said, you've you've worked in that industry. Like you're a you're you're, you're a fan as well. What were your first thoughts when you saw it? My first thoughts was like a sinking feeling because, you know, if you're a fan of a sport, like we spoke about boxing a few weeks back on the show, and how the first time any of my friends really show any interest in boxing was when. The criminal links were revealed. And again, last night in like my various WhatsApp groups, all people who show no interest in horse racing from one end of the year to the other, all of a sudden are all over it. And it's for all the wrong reasons. So you're, you're not trying to defend the sport because, as you said, it's indefensible. You're trying to add context. But there is no context to add. It's 
one of the most prominent figures within the sport, both in Ireland and the UK. This is a man who's had 32 Cheltenham winners. You're talking like, if you're to make a sporting comparison, like a Jose Mourinho and Alex Ferguson, one of the great trainers of his generation. And he's posing in this photo. And it just shines such a bad light on the sport. And a sport that has plenty of challenges already. It's obviously strongly linked to the gambling industry and there are talks of gambling advertising being banned which would be another death knell for the future of the industry and then there is the animal rights groups who constantly criticize the sport because of its perceived abuse of animals you remember there was the greyhound documentary by primetime maybe a year or two ago which shone a desperate light on that particular sport and this is bringing that negativity into horse racing again less than two weeks before the olympics of horse racing the cheltenham festival was due to kick off and for a sport that's struggling with its image especially with in britain there's been a massive debate around the whip over the last few years over whether the whip should be banned purely for perception purposes and then you have as i said and alex ferguson jose Mourinho, jorgen klopp type figure like that's how big he is within that world posing in this image and the sport tries so hard to give off the image that when a horse suffers uh, a life-ending injury or suffers a setback that they always try to give off the image that the horses are treated with the utmost dignity you know they'll wheel out the line that we treat these horses better than we treat ourselves and that's a lovely line to, to give out and people buy it and then something like this comes up and again as i mentioned in whatsapp groups or whatever in casual conversation how can anyone within the sport of racing put up a defense for this it's just it's bringing i don't want to say it's bringing shame and i slightly feel sorry for for gordon even though why would you feel sorry for him he's a very wealthy successful man but i think the reaction has been slightly out of proportion with the incident but in saying that the fact that the likes of Ruby Walsh are saying it's indefensible, just speaks volumes. So yeah, a bad, bad day, bad night for the sport, and uh, hopefully it can kind of get its house in order and move past this. And maybe Gordon will be slapped with a ban. It'll be interesting to see what happens with his horses at Cheltenham because, as I said, he's one of the most prominent figures within racing. He has some of the best chances for the biggest races at Cheltenham. What's going to happen to those horses now? Michael O'Leary, obviously. The owner of Jigginstown, which provides Gordon with most of his good horses. They've said they're going to back him. But if Gordon's banned from British race courses, I don't think Mike Lund and Eddie O'Leary are going to let their horses miss out on a chance to win the big pots at Cheltenham. So if that happens, you'd imagine Mike O'Leary will have to take his horses away from Gordon, put him with another yard so that they can compete. So I don't think this story is over yet. There's plenty of legs to it, but it's one to follow. And yeah, it's... Uh, a real a real shitstorm is what I would call it. But Kieran, uh, phrase for it. Yeah, a much more um, pertinent story to us and to our listeners is that of sprinter Joan Healy, who is heading to Poland this week to compete in the European Indoor Championships. We spoke to her sister Phil on last week's podcast, who will also be in action over in Poland and you spoke to Joan maybe just give us a sense of how she was and how she was gearing up for the championships this week 
Yeah, like you said there, Joan Heady is competing at this weekend's European Indoor Championships. She, she's one of three West Cork athletes. So does Joan Healy, her younger sister Phil Healy, and Darren McElhinney from Glengarry. So it's fantastic, first off, to have three West Cork athletes in the Irish team of 24 going to the European Indoors. Those championships are running this weekend. Um, Phil is competing in the 400 metres. Dara is competing in the men's 3,000 metres. And Joan will be competing in the women's 60 metres. And Joan Healy often sails under the radar, Jack, because her younger sister, Phil, is Ireland's fastest woman. She's a national record holder at several distances. But Joan Healy in her, can stand on her own and very much in, in her own right as one of the top Irish sprinters in the country. She's the fourth fastest Irish woman ever over 60 metres. Her personal best of 7.31 seconds is only 0.04 of a second off the national record. And what always amazes me about Joan is she she can compete at the highest level in Ireland. And now she's obviously at a European indoors as well. While she works a full-time job as a secondary school teacher, it's an incredible story how she has juggled both working professionally and training as an elite athlete. And yet still, year after year, produced these incredible results to an extent where she's competing at the European indoors um, this weekend and she's hoping to get to the semifinals. She's also in with a shout of getting to the Olympics in Tokyo later in the summer, which might surprise some some listeners to this podcast. But Joan is part of the Irish 4 by 100 metre relay team that has their ambitions set and qualifying for the Olympics. So it's it's an incredible story that she juggles working professionally with, with her full-time athletics career. Um, and like I said, she's still one of the top athletes in the country. And as you hear from, from her now coming up in this interview, she's in good form. Um, heading into Poland this weekend. She had her injury troubles over the winter, but she's seen a lot of signs in training the last couple of weeks that there's good times ahead. So hopefully we'll see we'll see Joan get to European semi-final this weekend. We're joined now in the podcast by Joan Healy, who is competing at the European indoors this weekend in Poland. But before we talk about, I suppose, this weekend's um, event, Joan, I want to go right back to the start Um when you first got interested in athletics, what was it about the sport that pulled you in initially? Um, well, I suppose I'd say I was about maybe 10 or 11. And um, I was always involved in the, the school sports and I was always winning the 100 metre races. And um, it was actually, believe it or not, it was actually down to Johnny Caulfield, um, who living out by us. Um, said, you know what, maybe you should try joining an athletics club. And I went into Bandon Athletics Club on something like a Tuesday or a Thursday evening. And the head coach inside there, um, Catherine Duggan, um, decided, actually, do you know what, there might be something here. So she sent me off down to Castle Island for my first competition that weekend. Um, it happened to be a Munster Juveniles, had never raced before in my life had always been playing GA up to then. So I turned up to Castle Island in my runners and my GA shorts and my GA socks, thinking that this was the kit that needed to be to be worn. Um, I made it to the final and I came dead last. And I said that was never going to happen again. So I decided to continue training. I put in a winter's training with the group. Um, I went out to the Munsters the following year and I won it. Um, I made it to the All-Irelands and I won the All-Irelands there then as well. And basically started from then on, I got my first major international world championships um, as a junior when I was 15. Um, I was probably one of the youngest on the team at the time. Um, so it all kind of kicked off from there. Did you have that raw speed 
like is that just part of of your sporting makeup like kind of and and if you have that raw speed where does it come from like what side of the family does it come from or do you, do you have any background to that or well there's a little bit of both i suppose um dads with the family they would have always dad would have always raced as well with us in the sports days he actually did his own few all Ireland competitions as a master athlete as well and has his own few um, gold medals um, and then on mom's side they probably have the the longer distance um, mom has some cousins who've been to America and done some long distance out there so it's probably a bit of both I've probably taken more of the speed side um, from dad's side whereas Phil is probably a little bit of a mixture um, of both sides having a bit of the endurance as well for the 400. You were the trailblazer in the Healy household growing up. You were the one kind of, I was looking back to some of the old stars there, Southern Stars Online, and you went to, um, you had a bronze at the European Youth Olympic Finals in mm -hmm. Finland in 2009 in the relay. You went to the World Juniors in 2008. I found a super photo of Joan from the European Juniors in 2011. There was a team photo of, of the, the, the Irish team that went, and Thomas Barr was there, um, yeah. Mark English, Kira McGean was there. Um, it's just... Like when you look back in those early days, and that's 10, 11, 12 years ago now, when you were competing right on the, on the international mm -hmm. front. It is. It's a long, long time ago. Um, I did have a great, uh, did have great success really as, um, as a junior. But I suppose um, looking back now, um, I suppose we kind of just went with the flow at the time and probably didn't look... Um, deep enough into different areas of coaching and areas that I could improve and it's probably then why I was met with a lot of injuries I tried to make the transition as an 18 year old into the senior ranks um probably if I was back again and could do it all over again um apply the knowledge that I have now uh, to when I was a junior I might have had a different transition into a senior athlete it's worth noting too as well as that raw speed you you also have You've that incredible mentality, Joan. Because I want to ask you about your fight with a kangaroo. Um, this is going back. This, this is going. This is going oh back my God, years. That's this is going back years ago now. To you, when you were a, kind of a five-year-old. But I think for for listeners of the podcast, it just it shows you the mentality that that Joan Healy has. Can you fill us in on the time you squared <laughs> up with a kangaroo, Joan? Uh, I vividly remember it. Um, I often say every time I take a trip down to to photo now. Um, yeah, we used to go down there regularly when we were small. I think I was about maybe four at the time. Can vividly remember my wearing my denim dress and my little orange t-shirt. And at the time, well, they kind of still are now, but especially back then, I suppose some of the animals were roaming a little freer, shall we say? Um, and the kangaroos were were out on the green and. Um, of course, as brazen enough as I was, I decided to take it upon myself to go and hand the, the kangaroo some food and <laughs> he didn't like it and <laughs> he uh, gave me an old scratch back. Like if you can go toe to toe with a kangaroo and, and kind of survive to tell the tale, you know, and then you went on to obviously <laughs> make make the headlines on, on, on the track, like it's a it's a very good sign. And you, you, you mentioned there, John, right, about kind of, if, if you knew then what you knew now, would you have done things different? Um, because we're talking, you know, as, as a 28-year-old top Irish sprinter who's heading to the European indoors, and it's well, it's important to note that you juggle a full-time job as a teacher at Terence McSweeney Community College in Nakhnehine with your athletics career. That alone is is commendable. It's incredible that, that you can do that. So how do you juggle the two of them first? 
Um, it is it is hard, I won't lie. Um, it's not really an easy task. They're trying to juggle, juggle a full-time job and you're up early in the morning and um, you're dealing with teenagers all day and then to try and take yourself to the track at the end. But um, it's all I've been used to, um, I suppose, because, you know, when I was trying to break into the senior ranks as an 18-year-old, was probably starting college, um, I was starting to get hit with a lot of injuries and... Um, as a result and trying to get through all those and to fund myself um I had to start working um so I got used to very quickly trying to juggle a job um with my training and I suppose when the time came then when I finished um college um I was just starting to come back from from my injuries and pull myself back into competing again but um I was faced with the choice of you know can I afford basically to keep myself running as an athlete or am I going to need to go out and work here for a while and I needed to work for a while um that may have been different if I had had a smoother transition into um a senior athlete I probably would have gone down the route that Phil has possibly gone down where you know she continued to stay in college and um continued with her education and uh become a full-time athlete because we were talking, I think, early last year, you were telling me the story of you competed at the AIT Grand Prix in Athlone last year. That was on a Wednesday night. You you left mm-hmm. you left Cork, drove up to Athlone, you ran the heat. Then I think you did the final, you 7.34 over the 60 metres, mm-hmm. hopped into the car, drove back home to Cork or, and into the classroom the next morning teaching. And I was like, yeah. Jesus, like that, that's an action-packed day. And when you, like I would have said there, it is tough to kind of, kind of juggle both of them. So... Was there ever a point in the last couple of years for you were thinking, would I just park the work for a while and concentrate on athletics? There was. Um, I'm I'm always thinking about that. Um, but I suppose I've kind of gone to a stage now in my career where, you know, I do need to juggle where, you know, how long am I going to be in athletics and what am I going to be doing with my life after athletics? Um it is a difficult one for me to juggle at the moment because I suppose I am starting to to see form that I hadn't seen before. Um, but look, my my school is incredibly supportive of everything that I do, and um, you know they offer me the time, and the ETB are really good to offer me the time off when I need to go away for races. Um, and now you know that we that we can do all this online learning and work from home. It makes it a little bit easier for me to maybe travel to some places now and to teach while I'm there and continue with my training and my races at the same time. Because when you do look at your times, Joan, like a personal best of 7.31 seconds for the 60 metres, I think that's fourth in the all-time Irish list. Mm-hmm. And again, I, I don't want to harp on about it, but you're juggling that with full-time work and you're thinking, Jesus, if Joan just concentrated at athletics, how Absolutely. fast could, how how fast could, could she be? Yeah. I know, I always ask myself the question. Um, but look, I mean, after with COVID and everything that went on um, and being, you know, home for so much of that time, I've it's allowed me to work on other areas that I might have neglected when I was working. So hopefully now that will, you know, shine through when I when I transition into the outdoor season. You were flying at the start of 2020 before the pandemic hit. Um, then obviously that kind of derailed a lot of the season after that. How did the winter of 2020 go in terms of training looking ahead to this year? (laughs) I had a very disrupted winter training. Um, 
So when we returned back to school in August, um, I was in the middle of my having a break from athletics. I was getting three to four weeks off and I picked up a niggle in my foot, um, which I can only assume was down to, you know, being back on my feet again so much, the constant walking around at work um, due to COVID, we no longer had our classroom. So it meant that I was constantly on the move from class to class because the kids were staying in the one spot. Um, and I picked up plantar fasciitis in my foot. Um, I gradually went back into training in September on the track, um, kept it at low volume, but then we decided that it was probably better to take me off my feet and transfer all my track sessions to, to the watt bike. So I was basically on the watt bike and doing gym sessions from October right through to the middle of December. And it probably, I probably wouldn't be where I am now if I didn't have the help um, from Phil um, throughout the winter you know, the, the knowledge that she and Shane gained um, when she broke her foot and she transferred a lot of her training to the walk bike. Um, she was able to help me with a lot of that and move a lot of my sessions to the walk bike and it kept me going over the winter. But I mean, it certainly wasn't an ideal situation. Um, I had to constantly keep Europeans in, in the back of my mind to keep me going while I was on my own and inside the clubhouse um, on that dreaded walk bike. Um, and still not knowing whether they were going to go ahead or not. So I probably didn't get back onto the track until the middle of December. Um, probably didn't get up onto top speed until after Christmas. So really, I've only had six to eight weeks of training on the track before I competed at the weekend. And that recent micro meet held by Athletics Ireland, I think you ran a 7.42 into 60 metres. So... Mm -hmm. Was it pleasing for you first to get out of the track running again, considering the injury that you had? And then how did it feel? Absolutely. I was delighted. I mean, Athletics put on, uh, Athletics Iron put on a great meet and we were so happy to have it. Um, but, you know, having not raced in such a long time and, you know, the 22nd of February, any other year, I probably could be on my sixth or seventh race at that stage in the year. Um, and then not having run for so long, the, the nerves were, were fairly high all right, on, on Sunday. Um, I probably expected a quicker time. Based, you know, the signs and training have, have been better than, than what I produced on Sunday. Um, I, was, I was expecting to open up with um, a mid-7-3. But look, looking back on the race, there's, there were some technical issues there, um, some patterns that I fell into that I hadn't been doing in training. And it was probably down to, you know, just first race rustiness. Um, so since being on the track there during the week, kind of rectified all those technical issues and back running in better positions. So hopefully there's a much better time going to come next weekend. How much time do you actually have to think in the middle of a 60 meter race? Like I said there, it's over less than, it's what, 7.3, 7.4 seconds. Mm -hmm. And to me on the outside, I'm watching it. There's start, finish, it's over in a blur. Yeah. You're just talking there about the technical aspects of, of it. So when the race is on, can you actually live think while, while it's kind of playing out? You do, you'd be, you'd actually be surprised. Yeah, you'd be surprised at how much thinking is going on in the middle of the race. I mean, the 60 metres really is a Hail Mary run in comparison to the 100 metres. Um, basically, if you're not out at the start, um, <laughs> you might as well stay where you are in the 60 metres. But um, I suppose, yeah, in the race, you're thinking once you've gotten out, you're thinking of driving for as long as you can. 
Um, and once you come out of that drive, you're just thinking about being nice and tall and being nice and bouncy and powering through the line um, only on Sunday. And what I was thinking while I was going through that phase there between 40 to 60 meters is I just couldn't get up into that nice tall position that I had been getting at um, in previous weeks of training. Um, so it's probably due to lots of other factors from, you know, work as, as good and all, as I say, working from home as I am sitting in front of a laptop now a lot more than what I would have been if I was back in school so that's probably putting me into a little bit more restrictive positions and then going out there and trying to push my body to the max um, so that's something that I'm going to have to be very conscious of and um, aware of in the lead up to the Europeans next weekend. You mentioned Phil there was a big help to you over the kind of the the past winter Joan with her her knowledge of her injury when she broke her foot in Malta a couple of years back. Um, Finn has always been, I suppose, a great um, rock for you over the years as well, kind of to, to call on her knowledge and so on. Absolutely. I mean, I know I'm the older sister and I should probably be more of the rock than she is. But, um, you know, when I was out injured, she is probably the reason she rose through the ranks really quickly. And she's probably the reason why I stayed in the sport. Um it made it hard for me to turn my back on the sports scene, you know, she was doing so well um, in her training and in her races and she was coming out and she was running PBs most seasons. Um, but, you know, our relationship has gotten really good over the years. Um, we we're able to share our knowledge of, of training and she has so much experience of competing at such a high level. So um, it's great to be able to rely on her to um, on that knowledge and that experience as well for my own races. Heading over to the European indoors in Poland, what's your target? Well, basically my target is to get to a semi-final. Okay, so getting to the top 16 in Europe. Um, you know, when you come to championship running, you're not really thinking about times. Times don't really matter anymore. It's all about making it through the rounds. So if I can get out well and I can produce what I've been doing in training for the last number of weeks and this week um, I think it's well within my range to get into um, a European semi-final. Looking past European indoors then and I know we've spoken before about the possibility of the Olympic Games and qualifying the Irish relay team at the 4x100 what's the latest with that? Okay, so um, basically when indoors are over for us, um, I think we kind of have a, a week's grace period there before we're back in with the squad um, for training again. Um, World Relays are coming up on the 1st and 2nd of May in Poland again. So uh, they take the top 24 teams to qualify um, for that championship. So we're on that list at the moment. So we're waiting for our invite. So hopefully... Um, you know, there's a there's a great amount of talent in the squad at the moment. So hopefully, you know, we can get out there in Poland and put a good time together um, and qualify for the Olympics. Um, and if it doesn't happen in Poland, there's other meets then throughout the summer, um, especially in June, which will give us more opportunities again to, to post a good time. It's incredible that you have so many targets ahead for the next couple of months. Like you said, we have the European indoors coming up next, then hopefully Touchwood qualifying for the Olympics. So in terms of motivation and, and events to kind of target and keep you going? Like you, you've a lot on for the next couple of months. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's great to be able to have the opportunity to race, especially in the time that we're in. Um, 
we still don't really know what kind of structure the outdoor season is going to take but um you know with the likes of the world relays happening in poland again i mean it's a really good sign the poles are doing really well in hosting different um athletics meets so far so i think we can have great faith that they're going to go ahead um that does keep the motivation up um there's a lot happening in june as well like the national senior championships will be in june because the olympics are in in july um we also have team the european team championships as well in romania so that's another thing to keep us going um so yeah it's a jam packed summer and um i hope as long as travel allows us i hope to keep going right until to the end of august and um really focus on reducing my 100 meter time fantastic there's there's a lot to look forward to in the days weeks and months ahead thank you for joining us joan best to look in poland yeah. this weekend and no we keep problem. in touch Thanks throughout the year Thanks for listening to the Star Sport Podcast, number one for sport in West Cork. When the West Cork ladies claimed the senior county title last season, it looked as though sky was the limit for Brian McCarthy's charges. But now their future is in doubt with question marks surrounding their participation in this year's championship. In a few minutes, we'll chat to their chairman, Brian Cotter. But Kieran, could you maybe bring us up to date with the latest developments to this story you were writing about it in your column in last week's southern star so i suppose this came to light after west cork won the county senior championship in 2020 because it meant west cork as a divisional team could not go forward into the munster provincial series so instead cork nominated more runners up in the county final to go forward instead but that I suppose that kind of perked the interest of the powers in DLGFA up in Croke Park because only county winners can go forward into the provincial into the provincial series. It, it turned out it, it was all settled in the end where Morn Abbey were allowed to go forward in, into Munster. But the Cork Ladies County Board was fined for running the championship in the way that it was because it contravened Rule 190 in the LGFA official guide. And that rule says that county boards may allow players from three junior clubs or one junior and one intermediate club to amalgamate to form a senior team without losing their junior or intermediate status. Basically, the West Cork divisional team draws from more clubs than Rule 190 allows. Important to stress here too, Jack, that there's no wrongdoing whatsoever on West Cork's part because they were playing in a competition and the laws put down or the or the rules put down by the Cork County Board. Um, and they've been playing in in the Ladies County Senior Football Championship since 2016. So th- that was their fifth season there. The Cork Ladies Board allowed them to compete, but it just came to light last year after they won the County Senior Football Championship. So where we stand right now is that the Cork Ladies Football Board have sent a motion forward to the LGFA Congress that will amend the rule, which would allow... The divisional divisional teams, not just West Cork, but divisional teams across the county and indeed across the country, it would allow divisional teams to pick from an unlimited, you could say, number of junior and intermediate clubs. But the problem is that we don't know when that motion will be heard because it's been put forward to a special congress of the LGFA. Right now, we don't know when that special congress will be heard. And if it's heard later in the year, because they want to have a face-to-face meeting to kind of debate important motions like this. So if that's held later in the year and the Cork County Senior Championship starts before that, then West Cork will not be in 
this year's County Ladies Senior Football Championship, so they won't be able to defend their county title. But as I said in last week's column, maybe that's kind of short-term pain for the long-term gain, because if this motion passes at the Special Congress, it will then be enshrined in the rule books, and then from then on, divisional teams, like I said, right across the country, will be allowed to compete in their county championships. And it's important, too, that the wording of this motion put forward to the Special Congress is... um, is, is clarified as well because what it says is that county boards may consider um, allowing uh, divisional teams in. So it doesn't say divisional teams have have to go into the county championship. It's still up to the to the to the county boards to allow divisional teams in. So um, and also this new motion will say that divisional teams cannot go forward to represent their county in provincial and all Ireland club championships. So let's say this motion passes next year. West Cork are in the county championship. They win the senior championship. That's where their journey ends. They will not go forward into the Munster series. Instead, I think it's the runner-up will then go forward. So there's, I suppose, the future of the West Cork ladies senior football team is going to be debated and fought off the pitch. Um, we'll have to watch with interest over the next couple of weeks and months to see what happens. But as you'll hear from Brian Cotter now, the West Cork LGFA chairman, they're they're quite hopeful that this motion will get get and garner the support it needs to get it across the line. But as, he, as you'll hear from right now, we still don't know whether West Cork will be able to defend our county title this year. We're joined now on the podcast by chairperson of the West Cork LGFA, Brian Cotter. So was to chat about the, the latest with the West Cork senior ladies football team and their participation in this year's championship and championships going forward. Um, first off, Brian, thanks for coming on, on, on the podcast. And second off, where we are right now, we suppose West Cork's participation in this year's championship is up in the air. Um, can you fill us in on the background so of what's going on, at, at, going on at the moment? Well, I suppose it started straight after the win last year in the sense that um, obviously, with a division winning the county championship, we couldn't go forward to the Munster championship, which is always the accepted situation with divisions here in Cork. But Crow Park drew attention to the fact that Moran Abbey weren't able to go out because they didn't have the same rules and procedures as the GA. So, like, there was a bit of to and fro on that. Eventually, Moran Abbey were allowed to go in, but the county board were fined for having West Cork in their championship at all or any divisions in their championships. And we will, they will highlight the fact that the rules do not allow for divisional teams in ladies football. Um, now, they've been playing in ladies football, certainly for the last five or six years, but even going back to 2010, West Cork competed at some stage as well. Like So I think not knowing that divisions were playing in, in the Cork County Championship, you'd have to be hiding under a rock, particularly in the last three or four years where West Cork and Moran Abbey's... Uh, Rivalry, if you want to call it that, has been so um, good and, and so well publicised, you know. So, look, in fairness, West Cork didn't have to do anything in the sense that the county board took it upon themselves to further the case for divisions because, um, as you know, there was a meeting a couple of years ago where this was all trashed out with clubs again and the general feeling was that divisions should be allowed in our championships, so they have been. Um, so the county board... First of all, they kind of made a submission to Crow Park hoping to get an exemption to the rule for divisions in Cork because of the historical significance of it and all that. 
um, so that we wouldn't have to go down the whole motions route. That wasn't, uh, they weren't forthcoming on that. So the motion route on a change to the rule, which allows for amalgamated teams only, was then going to have to be put forward by Cork. Um, so that was drawn up. Um, obviously, there was no meetings or delegate meetings going on at the time. We're in the height of kind of the Christmas period where things were really um, difficult in the country. So the motion had to be in by the end of January. So that was worded and ratified unanimously by the Cork County Board Executive and sent to Crow Park. Crow Park accepted it and it was put on the claw for Congress. You mentioned there, so, Brian. Oh, sorry, Brian. Yeah. Sorry. You mentioned there... Uh, about the rule, I think it's rule 190, and I'll just read it yeah. out here now. That's county boards may allow players from three junior clubs or one junior and one intermediate club to amalgamate to form a senior team without losing their junior or intermediate status. And I suppose, as we all know, West Cork have more clubs than that involved in the makeup of the, of the divisional team. But just to go back to the point you made earlier, this West Cork team has been competing in the senior championship for the last five years. And we go back to 2016, North Cork and East Cork were competing in the championship as well. So it's not like it's a secret all of a sudden that West Cork were competing in the championship. It's been like this for the last five, six seasons as it is. So how come now it's become an issue? I suppose the short answer is because we won it. Um, you know, that's the, that's the short answer, I suppose. But I mean, I don't know. I mean, and it's further than five years, I think at the meeting the other night when the clubs were discussing this this motion in terms of whether they were happy for it to remain on the claw or not. I mean, I I was talking about five years because 2016 was the latest incarnation of it really where all four divisions got involved and um and the kind of the West Cork as we know it today with Brian McCarthy and Anne and those um they came together, you know. Um, but Dennis Kiley of Valleys pointed out to me that West Cork led in the championship as far back as 2010, I think. You know, so, I mean, it's been on the go for a long time. The fact that Moore and Abbey were not our county champions and were put forward to play in the county, in the Munster Championship, seemed to set off alarm bells in Crow Park. There is a rule in ladies football I think it's 307 but I'd have to double check it that teams cannot be nominated to participate in provincial and all-Ireland champions that would normally be the event of you didn't get your county final played so we let team A go forward because they won it last year and then we come back and play the county but technically they saw Morn Abbey as a nomination where Cork would say well no the qualification process for us includes the losing finalists going forward in the event of a division winning. So, you know, that's what started this whole thing. I don't know why it became an issue this year. I mean, it's very obvious to everybody divisions were competing in the county championship here for the last number of years. Uh, well, West Cork were anywhere, certainly for the last three or four years and other divisions prior to that. But that seems to be the reason it became an issue this year was the more Abbey going forward as opposed to West Cork winning, I suppose, you know. Um, and like you were explaining there, Brian, that this motion has been put forward by the Cork County Board to the LGFA Congress, but it's not going to be heard at the LGFA Congress coming up. It's, this motion has been put back to the, to the special Congress later in the year. We don't know when that will be heard. So what's the direct impact of not knowing when the motion will be debated? 
about what happened and West Cork's participation in this year's championship? Well, I suppose right now, I mean, right now, as we stand, divisions are not allowed to compete in the Cork County Senior Championship. That's, that's the easiest way of putting it right now. Unless there's a rule change, divisions will not be allowed to compete. So if this rule change doesn't happen prior to the commencement of this year's championship, then West Cork will not get to play in this year's championship and will not get to defend their title. Now, that's not to say that they are finished then forever. If we say the Special Congress is after our championship or after its commencement at least, and the Congress adopts the motion, then, then divisions will become legal for the following season. Um, obviously, we don't know when Special Congress will be. We don't know when the club season will be. So it is all very much up in the air. I mean, the Special Congress won't be until a group of people can get into a room and have a meeting. That's really why it's a Special Congress. And look, to be honest, we understand that because it is a big issue. There are, and it's not just, and I suppose it's important to say, it's not just a car motion, nearly all motions from counties that were sent forward that will require a vote and a conversation were put back for a special Congress. There are a lot more than the COC motion. It's not this one has been singled out. Um, but I suppose there is a time sensitivity to our motion from Cork in relation to this year's championship. And, and that does leave us in a kind of a, a limbo situation at the moment, you know. Like you said, Brian, it's a, it's a wait and see as to when Special Congress will be heard. But when it's heard in, and you mentioned there as well, this is a countrywide motion. This isn't a West Cork motion or a Cork motion. This will be adopted countrywide so that division of teams will be enshrined in the LGFA rulebook going forward. As a as chairperson of the West Cork LGFA, and you've seen the great work that the West Cork League has done over the last couple of years, can you just, for our listeners... Can you just almost extol the positives of this West Cork team in terms of it's it's the development of, of, of players in West Cork, giving players from junior clubs a chance to play senior, giving young girls right across the division a senior team to aim for. There's so many positives with this West Cork team. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you just take it on pure numbers, Kieran, there are 83 clubs in Cork registered for the 2021 season. If you took West Cork out of the senior last year, eight teams would have competed in the senior championship in Cork last year. That's less than 10% of all girls playing adult football in Cork is, are playing at a senior level. Now, for a county that's trying, A, is the biggest represented county in the country in terms of numbers, and B, is trying to win all Ireland's at a senior level, like, to be only having that amount of girls playing at that level has to be detrimental to the progression of Cork ladies football as a whole. So you bring it down to a West Cork level then. I mean, last year, there are 19 clubs in West Cork. Only one of those is a senior club. You know, Kinsale or Clan will be next year after a great win last year in the intermediate, but there was only one senior. And like, they're only senior with maybe three years. So that would have had... Three years ago, four years ago, there was no girl in West Cork playing senior club football. You know? And I mean, look at the size of the division. We're bigger than a lot of counties in terms of geographical spread, size, numbers. I mean, for that not to be happening, 
And for a girl, like there are girls down in every corner of West Cork, be it down in Ahiol or Kelkil or, or above in Dundero, say Kinsale or, or above in Kilnamila or wherever it is spread across the division, they will never play for Cork. Their club will never be senior. But now there's an aspiration to maybe play West Cork senior. And these girls, and we see it from the divisional developments where we have brought all the clubs together at 13, 15, training girls at a higher level with their peers. The, the tide is rising all the boats. You know, we are starting to win underage county championships. We're starting to compete heavily for A grade now as well, county championships. Um, you look at what West Cork Senior Ladies has done in terms of raising the standard of our clubs at adults level. Look at the year they had last year. Clannacilty winning the intermediate. Uh, Ross Carberry were in the semi-final of that. You had Valleys winning the junior A. Donnies were goal difference away from getting to the final of that as well. You had two West Cork teams in the B final, Skibbon and, and, and um, Castlehaven. You had Cullums getting to the semi-final of a C. You had, I think, Bandon were a kick of a ball away from making the semi-final of the D. You know, I mean, it is it it helps across the board. I understand the argument against divisions. I do. I mean, I come from a senior club myself. I played all my hurling football down in Middleton. I actually was involved with a Middleton team that lost the senior county final to Carberry, of all people. You know, I do see both sides of the argument. But it can't be argued that divisions, when they are successful, have fed into both the clubs within their own division and to the Cork game as a whole. You go back to the Immokilly team of the mid-80s. I remember cheering for Immokilly in 84 in the county final against the Bars. Two years later, they were beating us in the semi-final because we'd gone senior. But... That led to Conor Coonan played junior football with Ahada. He was captain of the Cork senior football team in 1987, got to an All-Ireland final. We ended up in four Ireland's in a row, and like that in McKinley team would have had Conor Coonan, Teddy Mack, Matty, Mac Matty McCarthy from Yall. They all came through that system. The Immokilly hurling team of the late 90s, you know, Castle Lines, Bright Rovers, Killa, Cloyne, they were all junior clubs when I was playing down in East Cork. They all ended up as senior clubs. McKinley won a couple of seniors. And then it followed on three, four years later, the Cork team of, you know, 99 feeding into 03, 04, 05, 06. And like, they're all cyclical because four, I think McKinley lost four teams from intermediate to senior in four years. They get successful, they have a small bit of success and they disappear again for a while because the clubs take over. And you can see it here in West Cork. Within a couple of years, West Cork will have, I've no doubt within five years, West Cork will have three or four senior teams fresh from what we are today. And then West Cork will be an also ran at senior level probably for a while. And these things come around, but certainly when they're well run, as Brian and Anne and, and, and James and Michelle have done over the last couple of years here in West Cork, when they're well run, they are a huge asset and advantage to the game in the county as a whole. And Supreme to the question, 
Brian, I was going to ask you as well. And it's a question, it's a, probably a phrase you've heard an awful lot over the last couple of years when you hear other teams or people saying, Jesus, that West Cork division, they're too big, their pull, their pull is too huge, they're going right across the division. What do you say to people? So who do say that? They say that West Cork can pick from Beira over, over to Valleys, over to Inishannon, when people do say that there's too many clubs involved in the West Cork team. Yeah, look, I mean, it's hard to argue against numbers. And yes, we have... 19 clubs in the division, 17 of which are eligible to feed our senior team. But I mean, at least 14 of those play at a junior C or lower level. So, I mean, it has to be taken into context as well. I mean, you would have at least four or five of those junior clubs that are struggling to field because geographically, West Cork is a huge place population-wise, like if you only take Beira, Beira is a division of its own in the men's. But if you look at Beira ladies football, how the hard work they're doing down there just to get 15 girls out on the field at different age groups, you know? It's a massive geographic spread, but like in terms of numbers, yes, sure. But like I would tend to say, you look at big population bases, maybe like, you know, Glanmire, Mallow, um, you know, areas like that, you know, I mean, they're probably, per square yard, they probably have a, a lot more people than, than is playing ladies football down in West Cork. But look, I mean, you can't say it isn't an advantage to be able to pick the best from six, eight, ten clubs or whatever it is. Certainly, of course it is. But again, there's a reason, there's a reason why these clubs are you know, playing in lower grades and lower age groups. And, and look, it's about promoting the game too. You know, it, of course, it's great to win. We all want to win. But I mean, you know, if you just saw the, like, the, the, the girls that come to the development and what West Cork now means to them in terms of an actual aspiration, you know, it's, it's, it's incredible what it's done and it won't be there forever. You know, it'll come and sways and cycles and all that. But I mean, it is, it is there for the betterment of the game as a whole. Yes, individual clubs will suffer from time to time. If you lose this county final to a divisional team, of course, you're feeling a little bit burnt. I've been there myself, but it's hard to deny you know, girls, like, you know, you take a girl like Melissa Duggan. Melissa Duggan is probably the best defender in the game right now. Do you know? But she comes from a, you know, a small club in Donnie's who are, okay, have battled hard and got up from Junior B to Junior A over the last couple of years. But like, I mean, it's not a coincidence the likes of Melissa got missed at Cork on the 14, you know, 16. It was later on as she started to become recognised, playing at a West Cork level, playing at a higher level with her club, as they start to move up. And these girls, these girls too, it's a great platform for them to, to showcase their wares and for Cork coaches to see them. Like you have the odd girl like Saoirse Noonan who plays well, Junior C now, I think Nemo are up to, and they were coming up through the ranks from, you know, DE. But like Saoirse has been a star since she was 12. You'll always spot Searsha. Searsha will always would have always gone play for Cork. But there are girls pocketed all over this. And like I suppose we don't want the 
conversation about the motion to be focused entirely on West Cork because I know North Cork are seriously looking at putting a team in as well, even for this year if it was an option, but certainly going forward. They have a lot of small junior clubs that are struggling for numbers. They're struggling to get girls out. And a North Cork, even you know, in the small little North Cork clubs, an opportunity maybe to play for North Cork someday is what brings them to training, you know, is what gets them out, gets them playing. Same in East Cork, same in Mid Cork. There are plenty of small clubs in Mid Cork, even though it's a city, you know, like Ballyfahan and these were, it'd be a fantastic. I Personally, I think we should be encouraging all four divisions to be involved at this level, do you know? Um, and it can only help Cork football, do you know? Um and sure, there'll be a stage in a couple of years' time, maybe one more and Abbey aren't as dominant as they are. And, you know, the second tier that might be there at the moment are a collective of six or seven very strong clubs that now have a great chance of winning the county if a division in, isn't there. But, you know, the option for those then to come to the board and say, yeah, look, we think the divisions are keeping the other clubs down, then that option becomes. At the moment, that option isn't there for us. If the rule isn't changed, we don't get the option. The rule being in, brought in across the board gives us all an option. It still has to be mandated by the clubs. The clubs say no, it doesn't happen. The clubs have said yes twice now. A couple of years ago at that meeting and the other night when the county board, and I suppose it's important maybe to say this, Kieran, is that the county board sent forward that motion and it was adopted and put onto the claw. It's important to say the county board still felt, even though it went through the proper procedures and, and with COVID and everything, that you don't have collective meetings, it still decided that the clubs had to have a say. If the clubs didn't agree with what the county board had done, then the clubs got to vote the other night to say, we want you to withdraw that from the motion, to, from the CLAR, because it's not the will of the clubs. And they overwhelmingly said, it is the will of the clubs. So there is still a will of clubs in CAR to have divisions involved because they see the big picture. And I think if hopefully the other counties, who it doesn't really affect unless they set up divisional structures and Crow Park, who look, it's, it's an in-house thing really, once we put structures in place for the team to qualify for Munster Championships, that we're trying to do our best to have as many girls play at as high a level as possible, that you know other counties and the LGFA will recognize that and say, yeah, look, if Cork want this, it's on, the it's on the books. It's up to Cork each year then to decide with the clubs if they feel they want to have divisions in their championships or not, you know? It's important to note here too, Brian, that this new motion, if it does, does like we say, get enshrined in the rule book, it means divisional teams will not go forward into the provincial championships. So let's say if West Cork win the county senior, maybe this year or next year, um, if West Cork was still there, then they won't go forward. The divisional team will not go forward into the provincial championship. So it's important to, to note that too for, for any clubs listening to this. And, and finally, Brian, and again, you touched on it, um, instead of punishing West Cork, which is probably the wrong phrase I'm using now, for, for the success they've achieved and they've spread the, the word of ladies football right across the region, West Cork have shown a template in West Cork of how a divisional team can work, how it can operate, how we can keep young girls involved, how we can get junior girls playing senior, how then it could lead to the ultimate success of winning a county senior. And there's a template there that can be used in other divisions within the county, but not even that across the country if the appetite is there. So partly it's, it's a personal feeling of mine that I, I think the success of West Cork and what it's done should be 
celebrated and championed rather than almost consigned to the history books. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, look, it's funny, at Congress last year, because um, Crow Park, I suppose, with ladies football, the ladies football authorities maybe didn't understand the, the entire nature of divisions, where it's been in the men's game for years and years and years, and, and the GA as a whole understand what happens in Cork. And there are divisions down in Kerry with the men as well, UV's Kerry and North Kerry competing in championships and all that kind of stuff. So in the conversation with the county board, when it was explained to them what divisions were, the county, the LGFA seemed to actually think divisions were a great idea, especially in big counties with big numbers for organising. Like, realistically, the divisions are like a county juvenile board, really. I mean, they organise all underage championships, bar, like the county board only have to look after the top eight in each age group. The, the, the divisions look after everything else and the structure and the way things are handled in a big county. And, and last year at Congress, for the first time ever, uh, the LGFA enshrined divisions into their rules. There is now a structure for divisions. There is now an acceptance. Up until now, divisions would have had a representative on the executive, but it wouldn't have been an, an accepted voting member, even though Cork would have always uh, given them voting rights. Under LGFA rules, they wouldn't have had them either. But last year, that was enshrined. So they've accepted divisions are a good thing. And this is the next step. And I mean, I agree with you. I think in big counties, you know, like Galway and Mayo and, and, and even Dublin with big numbers and that. I mean, this is a great template for getting as many girls. You had last year, this 20 for 20 and getting the increase in girls playing and all this kind of stuff. And like, I mean, look, and I suppose it would be unfair to say West Cork are being punished. It does look like, oh, West Cork won it, so let's throw them out. That's not what's happening, I suppose. It's certainly not what's happening in Cork. Like the county board have always acted in good faith that the divisions should be there. And the other clubs have always, you know, and any vote that I've been at or any meeting that I've been at, the majority of always felt divisions should remain. This is coming from on high, and I suppose what they want is, I suppose, the rule isn't there to allow them. And what we're trying to do is fill that gap to allow divisions to continue. And then maybe other counties will, once it's on the books, look at it and say, you know, that might work in our county. That might work for, you know, the northern part of our county is not playing football at all. You know, this is maybe a way of getting them to play football, you know. Um, maybe, you know, weaker counties who are struggling. I see... Um, Kilkenny are back playing senior football this year for the first time in a number of years. But within that county, maybe there's an opportunity for weak clubs to get together and divisions. And, you know, so I think it's something that can be used. But again, if it doesn't get passed and it doesn't get put on the books, then that's the end of it. So if it gets passed and gets put on the books, then there are options. And all we're looking for are options. We're not looking for a divine right to play or an, a for county boards to be obliged to have divisions, the rule, the wording of the rule is very specific. It does say in counties that run divisional structures, county boards may allow divisional teams to compete. That does not say you must, but if the will of the people or the will of the clubs is to allow it, then the option is there to do it. And when it's successful, you know, if it ain't broke, why fix it, you know? Ryan, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Best to look in the weeks and months ahead for this. Thanks, Kieran. 
Thanks for listening to the Star Sport Podcast, number one for sport in West Cork. Welcome back to the Star Sport Podcast. And just to quickly mention the column that we spoke about in the previous section, I'll tweet a link to that along with this week's podcast. So if you haven't had a chance to read Kieran's column on the West Cork Ladies situation, we'll tweet another link to that along with the link to this podcast. But Kieran, looking ahead to this Thursday and this week's Southern Star, what can readers look forward to? Yeah, we've plenty going on in this week's sports section. We have an interview with Denzel Fernandez, the German League soccer star, who will be lining up with Shelburne again in the first division um, in the season ahead. This will be Denzel's second season with Shells. He signed a contract extension at the end of last year and Jeremy McCarthy has caught up with him. And I suppose for Denzel in the season ahead, he'll be coming up against two of his former clubs in Cork City and Cove Ramblers, while his former Cork City boss, John Caulfield, is manager of Galway United. So there's Plenty of interesting games for Denzel in the season ahead, and it's a good interview with um, with him. We also chat to five West Cork women's coaches just ahead of International Women's Day to find out why they got involved in coaching in the first place. So it's from Emily Delory from Skibbereen Rowan Club to Anya Donovan in Bandon, Catherine O'Sullivan, West Cork Kickboxing Club, Shirley Maloney, Corsi Rovers and Anne O'Grady, Bantry Blues. They're all very prominent coaches in, in, in their In the first place, why they find it so satisfying and why they're encouraging more women to get involved in coaching. Also, last weekend was a great weekend for three West Cork ladies senior footballers because Martina O'Brien, Melissa Duggan and Anna Terry O'Sullivan were all named on the senior team of the 2020 championship. So we've that news and more. We have an interview with Maura Shanley, the young Clannacilty footballer who made his senior debut with the Cork senior footballers last year and did such a brilliant job when he was marking David Clifford's in the win against Kerry in the Munster semi-final. We also have Dennis Hurley's updating us with the news from GA Congress. We have a two-page spread on the European Indoor Athletics Championships. I've been catching up with Darren McElhaney, Joan Healy, as we heard earlier, and Phil Healy to get their thoughts ahead of the action in Poland this, this weekend. So there's a lot coming up in this week's sports section. And I just want to draw attention to Jack while I can to an event that's actually coming up on Thursday, March 11th, and it's been organised by Corsi Rovers, GA Club, Kinsale Community School and Kinsale Youth Support Services. This is a community wellness event that will be held online on Thursday, March 11th at 7.30pm. And it's an, it's been billed as a night of truthful discussion and our emotional growth. So um, Conor Cusick is going to it's going to be on the, the, this webinar and you have other people, I think, such as Corkamoga Captain Linda Collins, Joe Rice of Kinsale Youth Support Services, as well as a representation from Croke Park's National Health Club's project team. And it's just about, like I said there, about our emotional growth and our, our well-being uh, at this moment in time. And it's been billed as well as a webinar of an honest and open discussion around nurturing emotional well-being and personal growth. And they're inviting people of all ages and all communities throughout the, throughout West Cork and the whole county to join them on the night to take part and listen to this discussion. We'll have more on this in next week's podcast, but it's just to, to let our, our listeners know that this event is coming up on Thursday week, March 11th at 7.30pm. So tune in next week for more on this. Lovely stuff. And as Kieran mentioned, we'll cover that in more detail on next week's podcast and just a reminder as well that if you can't make it to the shops this week to pick up a copy of the southern star you can always 
subscribe online just go to www.southernstar.ie forward slash e-paper and you can read the southern star on your computer tablet or smartphone for less than two euro per week what a bargain thanks for listening to the star sport podcast we'll be back at the same time next week if you enjoy these shows please make sure to rate review and subscribe on apple podcasts spotify youtube or wherever you get your podcasts slán tomhle